Let's take a second to tell you about one of our partners, Dr. Dish. Dr. Dish basketball shooting machines are the most high-tech and durable basketball shooting machines on the market. Each shooting machine was designed specifically for high-repetition training to allow players to improve through technology. Dr. Dish offers game-like training to give hundreds of shooting reps in just minutes and provide powerful analytics to help players improve their game. Dr. Dish has also introduced Skill Builder, which is the first of its kind in the basketball shooting machine industry that enables players and coaches to stay connected, design and upload training exercises, and instantly receive feedback on their workout, allowing for real-time adjustments and improved performance. It is, without question, the most innovative basketball training machine on the market. To learn more about Dr. Dish, log on to drdishbasketball.com or follow them on Twitter at drdishbball. Don't forget to mention Coaching You and receive $300 off on your next Dr. Dish purchase. That's right. Mention Coaching You or the podcast and get $300 off your Dr. Dish. Hey, welcome to another Coaching You podcast with the coach, Brendan Sir. And the thing today that I'm excited about is I have another coach with me and actually someone that I work with at Stetson University. And this might be the first time I've ever had a baseball coach. I've had football coaches and stuff, but this is the first time I've ever had a baseball coach, a sport I love. And Steve Tremper, welcome to our podcast. Well, Brendan, thanks for having me on, man. I know... uh you got a huge following. You guys do one heck of a job um, getting the message out and uh, to coaching you uh, uh, listeners. So I'm really excited to be on here. Well, I think, you know, the thing that's so uh, interesting since we met recently uh, is, and I'm going to go right to it. I, I just think that, you know, you know, coaching, whether it's football, basketball, hockey, it really doesn't matter. What is the essence, the most important thing in coaching to you? Well, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a loaded question <laughs> because I think we could probably do 14 podcasts on this. But, you know, what I think has happened to me personally, and I think a lot of people might attest to this, is when you first get into coaching, particularly at the collegiate or the professional level, uh, you know, where you're at the upper levels of coaching, you know, you're young and you're really aggressive and you want to outwork everybody and you want to out-recruit them and you want to teach them how to make a better foul shot. You want to teach them how to throw the ball harder. And you get all into the technology side of things, which is a growing um, a growing uh, popularity these days, too, in all of our sports. But when you start to break it down, if I'm going to say what's the most important thing, it's, it's really – you can have all the talent in the world, all right? And we certainly need horses to pull the cart. We've said that all the time. You need to have the horses in order to be a strong team, a strong business, a strong organization. But – what really gels those guys together is if you're able to build relationships with those players and, 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 and create a strong culture. And, and, I, and I truly believe that when I was younger, I focused so much on, on the, the, the physicality of the game and thinking that's what's going to happen. And you can have all the drafted players you want. If, if that culture is not strong and, and you don't have those guys working together – it's it's really difficult to go in the same direction, and and we see that all the time in sports. We see <clears throat> we see professional teams that that go out and can just buy up some great players just because their budgets are, are 
available to them. But yet, how come they come in at 500? And then all of a sudden, you got like uh, a guy that might have been released or cut from another team, and all of a sudden, he gets onto another organization and he becomes an all star. So it's, I think, as coaches today, more so than ever, you have to really focus on trying to build that strong culture. And and that in itself alone is is a monumental task. And and there's a few out there that I wouldn't say have mastered it, but you know you try to emulate. You know wh- why the heck do we all gravitate back to the New England Patriots at this point? You know they've had a lot of success in the field, but you know what do you hear those guys talking about all the time? You hear about the culture and the leadership and the strength of that organization. And so I think that that's something that. You know, if you can invest in and find ways to make yourself better in that part, I think you're going to sustain success over a longer period of time. You know, Brandon, you, you've been coaching many years, and I think that you'll understand this, and, and, and our audience will really understand this point, is I really believe there's a, there's a huge difference between a team and a program. You see, you build a team for one year. It's very short term. And there's ways that you can maybe be successful in a short term. But if you want to build a program, there, there's a lot more steps that go into that and that culture and, and developing leaders. And, and this goes right into the business world, too, with all the people that you and I have talked to over the past to, mm-hmm. to kind of put our resume together is, you know, you want to be really good at your quarterly sales or at least yearly sales, or do you want to be a, a, a business organization that sustains long-term success and their program is, is strong? So. I think that the, you know the steps of doing that um, take take a lot of lot of effort and energy, and even personal money and time of your own to try to become that kind of leader if you want to be a successful coach today in today's age. So, what attracted each each other uh, us to each other? Uh, I think was that you know I always say I, I've never coached basketball in my forty six years of coaching. I, I coach people, and yep. you're and you are a leadership. Maven, talk about the importance of leadership in coaching any sport, but especially you know because you became a head coach at a really young age, and and, yeah. and I'm sure when you start out, you said you're focused on that process of the technical aspect, and then all of a sudden you found out it's not as important as I thought it was. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's so true. I mean, I, I was fortunate to be a Division One head coach at the age of 28, and that, that doesn't happen all that often. And, um, you know, I, I mean, I started thinking about, like, hey, I was, I, I'm going to be the best hardworking recruiting guy, and I'm going to go out and build our field and do whatever it takes <laughs> and get tough kids. And But, you know, what's, what, what is true toughness? You know, I think that's something everybody always talks about is, like, you know, what's, what, you've got to be a tough guy. You know, there's there's – that really built off of energy and, and a lot of words that we see that are kind of catchphrases today. And I've always chuckled at, you know, the toughness and, and fake energy where, you know, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of bring up a, a football example that I chuckle at, you know, you get, you get a rivalry week and you get warmups on a football college stadium and you get two teams that meet at half at, at the 50 yard line. And they're just, they're just pointing fingers and, and hold me back and, and let, you know, they're getting after it. I've always said, let the, let them go. <laughs> I, I bet they'll stand there and be like, oh, wait, what now? What are we going to do? You know, like, you, you know, this, we're supposed to actually get after it. That's kind of fake to me. It's fake energy. It's fake toughness. It's, it's when you can really focus on, you know, the values that your organization or your team sets and you actually stick to those values, traits, characteristics, you know, that's a step two leaders. And then, 
once you develop that, now you think you have some good leaders. Well, that you're not there yet. Uh, now the leadership gets built into culture, and those leaders have to sustain that ever changing culture. Um, so, so think of it this way, Brandon. You got to come up with a set of, of obtainable values, traits, and characteristics that you could have your organization engage in. Then take those people and start to understand that that's going to build the leadership capabilities that they have. Once we have those leaders in place, then you can work on your culture. But be aware, it's going to change daily, weekly, monthly, and certainly yearly because there's so many moving parts. There's, there's parts you can control. Uh, you know, as a coach, you know, you can control some of the players you bring in and out, but the faces change. Um, and there's things you can't control. You can't control the umpires. You can't control the refs. You can't control the weather. You know, things that are not going to go your way sure. sometimes. So I think that's why once you do all these steps, you know, just don't be like, okay, great. We, we got all these great guys in place. They're good part workers. They, they, they follow my principles and values. And now the culture is going to be strong and let's just go on for the next 10 years. Like, it doesn't work that way. So I think that, um, you know, there's, there's something else that I've always mentioned about is, and I do this little test a lot when I speak to, to teams, I speak to other businesses. I kind of do that little 30 second word association with them because what are we all trying to do? We're trying to, we're trying to get successful. We're trying to be success or build success, I should say. And so I always ask them, all right, you got 10, 15, 20 seconds, word association, what is success? And, you know, someone will raise their hand and, you know, inevitably they'll say, well, you know, I want to I have a good lifestyle. I want to have a good job. I want to get paid well. So, and the reason that is is because I want to provide for my family. You know, I want to send my kids to private school. I want to I put them in a good house, you know, and, and have them grow up in a great environment, save for their college. And, and then the third one is is sometimes I'll get – well, I want our company to be noticed. I want them to be out there. I want them to be the number one. I want to tell people about that. So it's ironic. A lot of people will ultimately talk about success as one of these three things, money, possessions, or fame. And in the world of sport, it's wins and championships. That's, mm -hmm. that, that, that signifies success. What I try to do, Brandon, and what I've learned is they're all byproducts. And, and the rewards. They're not really success or rewards. If you want to have self-sustained or, or long-term success and a strong culture, it, it starts with, first and foremost, it's really four, four principles or four steps. It starts with good people. All right, so me as the leader of the Stetson baseball team, all right, and you as the leader of the Stetson basketball team, or, you know, Jim sure. Smith, the, the CEO of – you know, ex Fortune 500 company, we all decide who's going to be on our team. You know, we need to go out there and become good at identifying not just the horses, the physical horses, the kid that can just out hustle uh, or outplay the kid on the court or the kid that can throw 95 miles an hour. We, we got to identify the horses, but then also those principles that we set. So once we decide that we got these good people around us, both staff and players or employees and supervisors the next step is by far the hardest and the most time and the one that people give up on it's building the relationships <laughs> it takes a tremendous time to build relationships with your people and time that you have to take away from your own personal uh, things that you have going on 
for instance, if I'm building a business and I have a team of 20 employees, I need to show them that I care about them. You know, that's going to help the leadership skills down the road. So maybe my daughter has a, a, a youth hockey game on a Saturday morning, but yet two ranks over is my first year employee whose son's playing in their hockey game. So I go over and I sit with them for 20, 30 minutes and watch their kid and ask about them and show that I'm engaged with them. That starts to build that relationship like, man, this guy cares. You know, when, when I first took the Stetson job, it was the most unique situation. Coach Dunn, the legendary coach here at Stetson mm-hmm. for 38 years, Hall of Famer, he decided to retire in, January, in December of, of that 2016 year. So I get a call from Stetson administration and said, hey, we need you to start January 1st. And I'm like, whoa, <laughs> that's, you know, just, you know, in the basketball world, that's like, that's like saying, hey, it's uh, October 15th. Um, practice is starting and recruiting is going on, but, but we need you to start today. You're going to take over the program. <laughs> so I come down here and I don't even know the kids' names on the team in the first practice. I mean, for two weeks, I'm trying to learn the kids' <laughs> names. You know, I didn't, I didn't build relationships with these guys. And I, I literally went into the first weekend and I was like, who's up to bat? Like, I, Oh, I think that's this kid. You know, I don't even remember their names. So, I had to, you know, get to that first year and start to kind of get my principles into it. And I saw that team start to grow. We started out horrible. I mean, we were, we were all over the place. No, nothing looked organized. Then all of a sudden, you know, this team's picked to be seventh in the conference. We get in the conference play. We start winning. We get up there. We finish like one game out of first. And, you know, we didn't make the regionals that year, but we had a successful ending. So then this summer comes up. Now you got a bunch of kids on a team who are like, all right, here we go. This is the coach that's going to let us all go or tell us they can't play for us or transfer. And I had one simple message to him. I said, fellas, I'm going to start working on our culture now that I got to know you a little bit. And we're going to go to Omaha. <laughs> but it's going to take a tremendous amount of time to do that and effort and energy. And it doesn't matter if I recruit you or not. We're now going to engage in building relationships. So if you want to come back, be ready for that. And, you know, we had some kids that were like, hey, this isn't for me. But, you know, that core of 20 guys were like, all right, we're all in. So what do you do as a college summer baseball coach? You recruit. You go out every day. You're gone. I took that summer, and I went to every one of those guys' summer leagues. I showed up at their games. This is my own current players. I went and took them to dinner. I went out did whatever I could to try to say, hey, look, when you come back, we need to start working on our relationships. And I started to see that grow. So – the same thing happens in the world of business or any of us that coach. So that step two takes your own money, your own time, your own energy. But once you start to build those relationships, you, you, you kind of gravitate to step number three. And that's where they start to trust you. All right. Everybody starts to trust the leader, the boss, the CEO, the head coach. And so at that point, it's like, all right, you're telling me to do it this way. All right, let's give it a shot. As opposed to, Hey, this is how I need you to take your batting practice swings. Well, my hitting coach from the summer told me to do it this way, coach. You know, we always talk about the world. Are you co- that word? Are you coachable? <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it, it's the thing is, is you're coachable when you have the trust of each other to do that. That so you have to build that as a leader. You have to start to build that trust from those relationships that you're you're working on. So once we get to that step of trust, and everybody starts to trust each other a little bit. That last step happens, and you really start to see the loyalty of your employees, 
your teammates, your your players, they start to get really, really engaged and loyal. So if someone talks bad about someone in that company, it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, man, that's my boy. You're not going there with that. This guy's a good guy. Or a teammate defends each other. Or a coach to player, player to coach. That loyalty bond starts to form. So now what we have, we got these four really good things. We got you know good people that we have good relationships with and we trust them and we're loyal to each other. You know what happens is everybody starts to work a little bit harder. They try to impress. They try to stay an extra hour. They, you know, they come in early. They don't mind working on Christmas Eve to get the project done because it's for the team. It's the better of the organization. The players invest in extra video work or something just to go there. They really lock into the coach's speech and take something away. So you're just operating at a higher level. So when all that happens over time, you know what happens in the business world? Companies start to do better. They beat their competitors for accounts. They make more money. CEOs hand down raises. Those employees go and buy bigger houses and jet skis and send their kids to private school. And the CEO does an interview for why they're a Fortune 500 company now. And, And in the world of sports, we win conferences. We go to NCAA tournaments. We win NBA championships. And we move on. So, so success could be dictated by, you know, it could be looked at as, as money, possessions, fame, and wins. But really what it is to me is, is that bottom tier stuff. When you build that, it helps you try to be long-term success. Let's hear from our latest sponsor, Max One. Max One is the all-in-one coaching app that allows your team to train, communicate, and stay organized all in one easy-to-use spot. With all these useful features for one low price, I can't emphasize enough the value Max One can bring to your program, especially with the basketball season right around the corner. I know firsthand the importance of keeping your team on the same page as the season reaches its peak. I'm confident Max One can solve these problems for you and keep your program connected to help ensure you're on pace for the most effective season possible. Max One allows you to create individualized workouts for each player on your team with videos attached and deliver them right to your athlete's phone, eliminating spreadsheets and paper handouts and helping your players improve as the season goes on. You can then combine these workouts into an entire in-season program tailor-made to complement all the hard work that your athletes are already putting in during the season. You can even track your athletes' progress on the Max One leaderboards to see the improvement coming from your team, keeping everyone on the team accountable while encouraging a culture of competition. I also know how the calendar feature allows you to keep athletes, parents, and coaches alike as organized as possible. Workout schedules, practices, tournament games can all be created via color-coded schedules ensuring your athletes are in the loop with details on whatever events you have throughout the long season. To learn more about how Max One can help you run your program this offseason, head to their website at gomaxone.com and schedule a free 15-minute demo with a Max One program specialist. As always, mention me, Coach Brendan Sir sent you, and you'll receive a special discount if you decide to purchase. Again, visit www.gomaxone.com right now to schedule your free demo. You won't be disappointed. 
Steve, you talk about attitude is so important. And let me also say, the thing that also fascinated about you is that you have written a book that is going to be coming out shortly <laughs> called Walk Off. An incredible name, the ultimate book title that I've seen lately. <laughs> Better than, I mean, the coffee bean was something. But Walk Off, I love because of your baseball, but more importantly, it just fits in any walk of life or business. So attitude and everything is so important. Talk, speak to that, if you would. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, you mentioned walk-off walk off winning. It's, it's a book that came about. We can get into that in a second, but, you know, how, how, how that all transpired. I mean, heck, here's a, here's a Division One college baseball coach that has a hard time writing an email that's quality work. <laughs> And I, and I put out a leadership book in, in the business organizational world. So, but, but really, um, you know, in that book, I talk a lot about values. It's basically 19 chapters. And each chapter is a value trait or characteristic that I have learned from people I've been around in and out of sports that I tried to apply to my team to become a better leader. But it kind of morphed into – you know, what is, is so important. Um, and again, with 19 values or traits or characteristics, you can't be good at all 19. I'll tell you that you, you, you're going to be average at a bunch. You might as well be good at a few. And one of the things I think is very important in that book and, and what I live by my principles is attitude. Um, attitude is so contagious. It, it, it is incredible. It's, it's more contagious than any, uh, infectious disease out there. It really is. I mean, if you have a a, a poor attitude and you walk in with negativity, your head's down, uh, you know, you're, you're allowing things into your world of work or practice or play from personal life or vice versa. Um, no one wants to be around you. You can see it in 30 seconds, less than 30 seconds. It's just so contagious. And, and you know, contrary, if you have someone that has just a little bit of that walk in their step or that look in their eye, that that focus, that, that really good vision you could see them having, that energy that's real, that, that is genuine. People gravitate to that person. And, you know, I, I'll tell you a story. I do this other thing all the time. I've learned this from a book I read. You know, I always go up and shake someone's hand when I speak to organizations and business. And I ask someone to stand up. And I say, hey, look, watch how attitude is so contagious. And I say, you and I don't know each other, but let's go introduce each other to ourselves. So this person stands up in a crowd of 500, and I say, how are you doing? My name's Steve Tremper, head baseball coach at Stetson, and this person will say, hi, I'm, you know, Jen Smith, and I'm, uh, you know, director of finance here at this organization. We shake hands. Okay, great. Then I say, all right, let's role play a little bit. Let's back it up, back this little uh, movie up. Now let's, let's go ahead and introduce each other like we've known each other since high school, but we haven't seen each other in 20 years. And, I, and they look at me like I'm crazy. And I go, all right, ready? <laughs> I'm like, Jen, how the heck are you? And I put my hand out, and then I do the tap on their shoulder. They mimic you. Like, if you ever go ahead and shake somebody's hand, and then they kind of come in for the hug, you do it back. You know, my players come up to me all the time, and they do the, you know, the, the crazy, you know, let's do fist bump, knuckle, hands up in the air, <laughs> slap behind the back. And all I do is I try to copy them. I'm like, I don't know what the heck I'm doing, but I'm trying to copy these guys <laughs> doing it. And it just goes to show you, like, if someone's got that good energy, that uh, attitude, you, you do copy them. And so I think in sport, you know, there's a lot going on with these kids. I mean, you know, and, and in pro, I mean, you know, Brandon, you have such an unbelievable experience with college and pro 
I mean, it, it morphs what I have about the amount of people you've been around. But if you look at it, these people at the collegiate and the professional level of sports, they have a lot going on. I mean, in, in the college level, they have school, they have grades they have to make, they have nutrition sessions, work workout sessions. Um, it, it's 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 a basically a, a, a six a.m. to nine p.m. job that these eighteen to twenty two year olds put themselves through. Um, and in the professional ranks, it's certainly the work ethic. They have agents, endorsement fees, endorsement contracts. They have to kind of get you know. Uh, uh, is pay attention to. And so it's so easy when that three hours comes up that you need their attention. We need to be at a hundred percent right now locked in for this practice in order to get ready, you know, because if we're not practicing at a hundred percent, we're certainly not going to play at a hundred percent. If we go 50%, that game tomorrow night's going to be 50% effort. That's how it works. That's why people prepare. They prepare so they can be ready for crisis management, which is a game when it doesn't go well or a board meeting that has to pivot. So if you're not locked in and you don't have that good attitude, it affects everybody around you. So, you know, I look for the kid that walks in that his girlfriend just broke up from him. He's out of money and uh, he got a C on his test when he studied all night and he thought he did well. That kid walks in and his knuckles are dragging on the ground, his head's down. I have to get that guy ready for this three hours. <laughs> so I wow. have to try to focus on that one right now because if I don't, they are going to affect the kid that bounces in whose mom just sent him a $100 check. He got an A on his test. Um, you know, everything's going right in that kid's life for that day. And that's the beauty of 18 to 22-year-olds. Their emotions are, <laughs> are up and down every day. So I have to find a way to rub off on that kid that's not doing so well and – I have to get the kid that's doing well to rub off on him. So I have to make an effort to say, hey, go over and get that guy going. Let's be, be throwing partners with him today. Well, coach, I don't throw with him at all during warm-ups. I want you to go stretch and throw with that guy today. And I got to make those conscious efforts all the time. So when it's go time for our practice, we're at, at optimal level as we go through. So attitude, my God, it, it's, it's probably, you know, that's one of the number one things. <clears throat> if I was going to list out 20 values, <clears throat> it's, got to be my top two or three that I talk about all the time of how important it is to be successful um, in, in sport and in the world of business. Steve, you've coached over 1,100 games in baseball, okay? And, you know, there's diff- you've coached against guys that are just freaking type A dictator types. There's mm-hmm. other guys that are, you know, they, that have win tons of games that literally they sit there and you don't know if they're winning or losing uh, you know, what is the style uh, for a person in business? How do you determine the style that you lead in? You know, uh, how do you go about that? If if I was in business, I'm a coach, I'm a parent, you know, how, how do I do that? Well, that, that's that's a great question. I, I think what you're talking about is, is leadership. Like what, what what's the yeah. style of leadership? that, you know, that's out there that, that works, or at least what I've seen work or really what it starts with before you even get to that step is you got to have, you got to have a set of, uh, you know, again, what, what's, what's important to you, um, in the, in the words of values, traits and characteristics, and you can look those up there, there's definitions why they are a little different, but find out what those are first. Once you do that, then start focusing on building leaders and leadership and, and Brandon, really, 
in my experiences, I've come up with three styles that are used in leadership. And, and, and there's books written about these. So this isn't invented. This is stuff I've, I've seen. One way is, is a dictator leader. And, and, and I do this little test when I talk about this. I, I tell people, close your eyes and think of the word dictator and who comes to mind. And what usually they do, they're, you know, if they're older, they're going to be like, well, it's Adolf Hitler or it's Mussolini mm-hmm. or Stalin. You know, and then if they're younger, they're like, well, it's Saddam Hussein or, you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, North Korea, I'm losing the guy's name now because I really don't pay attention Sinchum to the guy. Young. Yes. <laughs> yeah, but, so, Dennis Rodman's so, friend, yes. My yeah, friend. exactly, yes. Dennis Rodman's guy. <laughs> so, so what happens is, is I, I, and I have them over their eyes, I'm like, and I ask them, I go, I got a question for you. How'd that work out for them? <laughs> you know? And usually what happens is like, well, it was, it was short term and not sustained, you know, and, and that could be, you know, a few years or 10 years or 20 years, but in the world of leaders and organizations and, and civilizations, it's very short term. Um, so that's, that's one form. I, I just, obviously a dictator leader is someone that, that rules by fear that, that really tries to intimidate. I, I have a story at one time where I saw this happen firsthand. I saw a, a new, a new person come into the organization that is, is, was a power of leadership was was the boss and you know gave their 90 day speed you know in 90 days I'll make evaluations and then you didn't hear from this person and they talked a good game about leadership and how the culture's got to change and then 90 days later they bring everybody together and they have three people stand up and they're like you're fired you're fired you're fired <laughs> and and everybody and there was 20 year vets of the company that were good people and and everybody knew that and it's like well wait a minute so they pack their bags up everyone else now gets back to their cubicles and they start working their butts off because they're scared they're gonna get fired well guess what production went up really well for that company for a couple of months because everybody's working in fear and then that ceo stands up and sends an email three months later and says thanks for your services i just got a promotion and i'm going on to another company and then everybody's <laughs> left there with this terrible feeling and just like now, the, how do we pick the pieces up? Um, and so it really is short-term success. What I do is I try to focus on the two other forms, and one of them is, is obviously servant leadership. This is something that John Gordon talks a lot about um, is, you know, you serve people as a leader. You know, you're there to help them grow um, and, and try to give them the tools necessary to make them be invested in the company or the team. And certainly build. So, you know, there's a lot of things we can talk about, the styles of servant leadership, but it, it helps build from ground up and, and is long-term um, success can be, can be sustained. But what I do, too, is I also think of the word empowerment as a leadership form. And what I mean by that is, is you need to be, if you want to be a successful leader, you need to find a way to empower everybody. And that means from bottom to top. Um, you know, you, you think about that first year uh, employee that thinks that they're just there to take notes or get coffee. They need to be asked into some of these serious meetings. So the easy people, the easy players, I should say, to coach on my team is the starting shortstop and the All-American. The easy guy for you to coach on that team in basketball is that, that, that all-conference, all-American point guard. Because that mm-hmm. kid's got there because, you know, they got work ethic. They got a lot of these principles. They got talent, and they're there. Now, on a baseball team in college, there's 35 guys. No, only nine play. So, you know the hardest guys for me to coach that I have to spend my most time with? It's number 33, 34, 
and 35 on the depth chart because that's the kid that might not even ever see the field. They might be redshirted because it's not like, you know, hockey or soccer or even basketball where I could throw a kid out there for 30 seconds when it's 20 points and we're ahead and then give them a little experience. I mean, it's you either put them in and they're in or they're not playing. And so what happens is I need to take that kid and I got to really invest time in them. So, so for instance, we're in the middle of a game and we have, you know, guy on first base, no outs, you know, we're up a run in the seventh inning. So we really got to get this run across. And I, and I, and I got to sit there and I got to make a call. Are we bunting and playing for the one run or are we going to hit and run and put that runner in motion and try to play for the big inning? So, you know what you do? You, you call down, you call down Jake. Hey, Jake, come on down here. Yeah. Yeah. Coach, what's up? You know, this kid hasn't played all year. Jake, we got first, we got down first, no outs. What do you think? Bunt or hit and run here? And he goes, ah, coach, I, I play for the hit and run. Well, you know what? We got the best closer in the country. We really only need that one run. Jake, great thought. But this is why I think we should go bunt because we got Brooks Wilson in the bullpen. He hasn't lost a save all year. We need one run to just give him a little cushion. Let's just play for the one. What do you think? Yeah, coach, good idea. Bam, that kid's down the end of the dugout. I don't have to talk. I mean, I don't, not that I don't have to talk to him, but I just had communication with him and empowered him and the team. And it took my time and effort to do that thing. And so I think that that's, you know, that's a big part of empowerment um, when you could do that. If you're in the world of business and you have that just hired kid out of college and you have a big, huge sales pitch meeting coming up, have that kid sit in on the meeting, that new employee, because they're going to learn something and they're going to feel part of the team and, and, and be valued. And that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to give these people value. I love that. And, but more importantly, I mean, the empowerment is the essence of, of building that team. Mm-hmm. Now, in, in full disclosure, I've read your book. I just absolutely love your story of, you know, and we talk about all the time. Everyone comes up to us, guys like us, and they say, hey, how do I get to be a college coach? How do I get to the NBA to coach? I want to be like you. And they want to know about their career. But I, I've never heard anyone talk about career progression and development like you have about using the white-tailed deer. Please, <laughs> please share. Yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a very unique chapter in the book. And I was really like, God, how can I, I get this message I love across? It. I love it. <laughs> so, um, you, you know, Brandon, the, the, the book uh, – writing a book is probably – the least experience I have. I am not a good writer. I don't. Commu- I, I think communication is 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 key. And you know, today we communicate by texting and emailing. And, and I, I purposely don't do that. I like to have you know interaction. I like to see expressions. I, you know, you give me a speech on leadership. I don't even need a note. I'm going to get up there and just rifle it off from my heart and get my emotions across. But yet, how do I put all that stuff in words and book in a book? That that was the most difficult thing for me is to try to get that. And so thank God I had a, a great editor in Wiley publishing, you know, Vicki was my editor. She was great with this book. And when she read that chapter, she was like, I have never heard this ever before. <laughs> and she's like, it makes so much sense. So it really, Brent, I grew up too. in I rural, agree with Vicky. <laughs> I was saying I, I grew up in rural New Jersey uh, in, if there is such a thing, I know people think it's always just the the, the the casinos and the Jersey Turnpike. But I grew up in the mountains out by Pennsylvania, and we were we were big whitetail hunters. It just it was part of our culture. And 
you know, so I grew up doing that. And then as I got older, <clears throat> I started to, um, to really use it as a, as a tool <clears throat> for decompression, you know, going out, you know, I don't need to shoot a white-tailed deer. I just want to go out in the woods, and if I see a beauty, it's great. You know, I'm heck, I take my phone out and take a picture of it sometimes and tip my cap and say, go on another day. But um, what I did is, is as I studied the white-tailed deer so much when I was a kid to become a good hunter, but then when I moved to Maine and was the coach at University of Maine, I met a guy up there who is, is – he's actually the vice president of the largest fertilization company in the world, but he's also a world-class hunter. And he taught me more in three or four years of being around him about the whitetail, which is the most mystifying, beautiful animal, I believe, just because they're, they have keen sense of smell and sight and, hear, you know, and, and hearing and everything. It, and they, they go through such trials and tribulations. I mean, they got predators, they got weather, they got cars hitting them, they got hunters after them. There's so many things going on. So if you look at a whitetail deer, and this is what I tell in the book, as I tell the life cycle of a deer. And it basically, a white-tailed buck, the male deer, it, it's born and it gets these, you know, 18 months old and it has this little teeny horns, you know, two or four points. And it's basically young and dumb. I mean, it is, it is chasing the does. It doesn't care about the, <clears throat> the signs of danger. It doesn't hear the car. And a lot of times it doesn't make it because it's, it's just not focused. It just thinks it knows it all. And it just keeps on, you know, ignoring all of the, the signs of education to, to become better. And so, unfortunately, they don't make a lot. That's why they, they don't get that big. But then all of a sudden, you know, if it does happen to make it past that 18 you know, months to two and a half years old, it gets to be three and a half. And then you start seeing those ones on TV where they got these big, huge racks, their horns, you know, it's an eight-pointer. They, but they still slip up. You know, and they usually slip up one time a year. It's called the rut. It's when they, the does are in heat and they are chasing those does and they run right underneath that hunting stand. Or you see a doe cross your car in front of your car in New Jersey, if you've ever been there, and oh, you're yeah. staring at the doe and then you don't see the buck coming and whack. <laughs> it's like, darn, there goes the poor animal and there goes my car. Um, but what happens if those ones are just fortunate enough to slip through that hunter you know, that missed the shot or that, that driver that slammed the brakes on and veered just the right way, that three and a half becomes the majestic five and a half year old buck, the prime. You don't see those very often. You have to, they, they are smart as heck. They know you're there when you don't even see them. They know you're coming. And that's why they become that size. And they're called the Boone and Crockett deer. It's a measuring tool that says this is the one that is just the most majestic and biggest one. And, you know, very few people can just sit in a tree and be like, I'm going to start hunting. Oh, wow, look at that 12-pointer. It just doesn't work that way. And they think it does because they see it on TV, but it doesn't. And so that that deer has done everything to educate himself, got a little lucky, everything went their way. But then as they start to get older, just like most people, they start to shrink and they start to get smaller and a little slower. and and it just doesn't, um, you know, they, they, but they do still have a ton of knowledge. That's, they have a very big value to society. And then, you know, if they ever get to the end of age, you know, it's only about eight and a half, nine years old. And, a, a, you know, a deer passes away of old age. So what I tell the story is that. And then I try to talk about that's the life cycle of a worker, of a person. When you come out of college, you're that 18 month old buck. You are just like, I know it all. I had all these classes. I'm sick of going to school. 
let me tell you how to do it. <laughs> and you mm-hmm. get in there and you and you make you, you shot your mind you, you shoot your mind off and your mouth off and someone slaps your hand or you do something dumb and you get in trouble and, and hopefully you don't get fired, you know, and hopefully you learn from your mistakes or hopefully you're around a, a supervisor that can help mentor you. But you are that young and dumb guy. And I was the same way. I come out of college, I'm like, I'm gonna out coach everybody. I'm gonna work, I'm gonna teach them how to throw 90. I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that. And I had no idea, looking back on it, what I was doing. And I was doing a disservice to the guys I was around. So then all of a sudden, I start to grow as a coach. And I become, you know, 30, 35, even 40 years old. Now I start to get it a little bit. Still making some mistakes. Still shooting my mouth off when I shouldn't. Still getting ejected from a baseball game because I'm arguing a call. I'm never going to win. And my AD is going to call me in the next day and ream me out for, you know, not, not acting right. So I'm still making mistakes. But then all of a sudden I start to hit that 45 age and, and I feel like I'm getting there and I'm probably not all the way there now, but I'm starting to understand a little bit more about how you have to be a leader and how you have to have these people around you and build culture. And, and you see that in the workforce all the time is, is people are trying to hire those five and a half year old bucks. Unfortunately, there's not a lot of them out there or if they are, they're, they're quite costly. You know, if you want to bring a, a CEO and that's that good, you know, they're going to they're going to cost you. And so that's that's where, you know, you want to make your money on those people if you can get those guys. But what I think you're better off doing is trying to figure out who are those 18 month old workers slash bucks and who's those two and a half, three and a half. And how can you be the mentor to get them to become a five and a half year old deer? Um, and then, of course, you know, we start hitting you know, retirement age for all of us. At some point we say, you know what, my energy's down. I just don't want to do this anymore. Maybe technology, I don't have the energy to go learn all this, you know, and that's where as a supervisor, you got to start seeing those people, what value can they bring, which there's tremendous because their minds are better than anybody. So their role might change. And as a, as a leader, you might have to find a way to motivate them into a new role that's going to benefit all as they decide, you know, that I'm going to start cutting back my hours, I'm going to cut into retirement. I mean, let's face it, at some point in our lives, we all want to be, we're all going to be like, hey, I've had it. I can't go at this, <laughs> at this clip anymore. I'm going to go fish. I'm going to go hunt. I'm going to go sit on my boat or whatever it is if I've earned it. So so that chapter is kind of a, a strange one that I hope I get the story part. But my editor says she got it perfectly. So hopefully when people read the book, they'll be like, I get that. <laughs> so I love it. I absolutely love it, Steve. fast model sports is the world's most comprehensive versatile basketball coaching software to help power your preparation fast model has developed the industry's best coaching software including the number one play diagramming and playbook software fast draw fast draw bridges the gap between whiteboarding in the digital world with an incredibly easy to use interface that can be used on both your computer and iPad to providing maximum portability for your own personal play and drill database. It doesn't stop there. Along with FastPro, they have other great programs such as Fast Scout, which helps coaches create clean, professional scouting reports customized for your team. FastModel is trusted and used by all NBA and WNBA teams, 85% of Division I college teams, and over 8,000 high school and youth teams from over 75 countries around the world in addition to a great product they also provide basketball coaching resources through their blog and play bank 
which features over 5,000 free plays and drills on their online coaching community. For access to these plays and more information, visit FastModelSports.com or follow them on Twitter at FastModel. Now, <laughs> I love the, the everyone wants to know how do I get better? I, you know, I I think your chapter on sh, you know chopping wood and sharpening <laughs> the axe. Uh, share that, please, Steve. Yeah, that's that's a that's a really neat one. I came up with um, from a story I can tell. So uh, here I am, thirty five years old, and I get the University of Maine baseball job from Manhattan College. And you know, back in the eighties and nineties, I mean, Maine baseball was was the bomb. They they they, they had six College World Series appearances. Uh, you know, Doctor John Winkins, the head coach, legendary Winkin. He's got scholarships. He's got private jets he's got donors he's got everybody helping him up up there and um, I get a chance to take that program over and when you walk on to the University of Maine if you've ever been there or heck even in the state of Maine there's two names that just stand out one of them is Harold Alfond who Harold was um, probably one of the biggest philanthropists I've ever met there's a stadium named after him somewhere an arena he, he basically started Dexter Shoes, and he started it. He's a Mainer. He started it back in the 50s, and as the story goes, he, he sold that company off. And if you read Warren Buffett's book, Warren Buffett will tell you it's the only failed business deal he's ever made. He sold, he sold it back in the 80s, Harold did, to Warren, to Berkshire Hathaway, for $400 million Jeez. of Berkshire Hathaway Class A stocks. <laughs> so, wow. That stock back then was worth maybe like I don't know, twenty bucks, and go look it up today. I think it's into the thousands. What that stock is worth, even the tens of thousands. So he did pretty well with that deal. Um, and the second guy is a guy by the name of Larry Mahaney, who was a main uh, football player back in the forties, fifties, and uh, then became a high school coach. He's actually from Arusta County, which is so far north you think you're in Canada, and all there is up there is potato farms. And he was a potato farmer, and he ended up being a high school coach at Brewer High School for football and baseball back in the 50s when he graduated. But then he ended up leaving coaching, and he got into the world of business and worked for a company called Weber Energy Fuels, which was the biggest energy and oil company at the time, and eventually rose to become the president, CEO, and eventually the owner of the company and built an empire. So the baseball stadium in Maine is called Mahaney Diamond. And the football and hockey arena is called Alphonse Stadium and Alphonse Arena. So they're the two of the bigger donors up there. So my first you know, year on the job, I get um, Harold Alphonse walking in my office. And I know who he is. And he, said, and he gives me this great story. He's like, hey, Stevie, I'm going to teach you how to be a Mainer because you're a, you're a flatlander. You're, you're, you're a Jersey <laughs> guy. <laughs> so he tells me about if you want to make it up here, you have to understand how you have to practice and how you have to really work at it. And that's how I built my company. He goes, you got to chop wood. And I'm like, what the heck are you talking about? Now, again, I'm 35 and he's probably 85 at the time. And he says, you're going to try to burn wood up here because oil's expensive. Talk to Larry Mahaney. His company's charging you an arm. Like is what he was telling me. <laughs> oil. He goes, we all burn wood. And he goes, and this is how I built my companies. He goes, in Maine – when you try to get wood in the summertime, it's going to be about $200 a cord. 
and a cord is, you know, a four foot by four foot by eight foot pile of wood. And, you know, you're going to burn, you know, a good amount of wood, four or five, six cords in the winter. He goes, but it's about $200 to have that thing delivered and stacked and be here. So make sure you chop your own wood to save a little money, but make sure you keep getting it because you never know. And then I'm like, all right, whatever. So that first winter goes by, and actually I made this mistake not listening to him. Well, what happens is in Maine, the darn winter goes way past April. When you think it's just getting nice and they're getting into mud season, what they call it there, and the sun's out, and it's now in the 50s and 60s, and you're just getting on your baseball field, whack. You get another snowstorm and another three weeks of, you know, 10 degrees. Well, if you run out of wood at that time of year, you know how much supply and demand is at that point? It's, it's about $900 a cord. <laughs> so wow. any money is saved in, in, in oil is going to be crazy to get wood. So he's like, Stevie, I'm going to teach you a story. He goes, you keep chopping wood. Just when you think you have enough, you've got to keep working at it. And he goes, it's all about practice. Keep practicing. Keep working hard. Do double, Just when you give your best effort, then give a second effort. Go at 100%. And he ended up, why he was so successful, it's a, it's a great story. He was the first one back in the 60s to take all of the seconds that were being made in shoes. So the little blips and a little stitching that wasn't great or the shoelace that wasn't, you know, the right length. And all the companies back then were giving those shoes away for free to their employees. He decided to put them on sale in in uh, Skowhegan, Maine, at a place called the Dexter Shoe Outlet. Wow. And he put them on sale for 80% off or 70% off. Well, guess what? He started getting outlet stores all over Maine and all over New England. That's He invented outlets. That's <laughs> what he did. And people started to get that, and that's where people shop at. So he talked about how much he just practiced that by building more outlets, and that built his empire. So that's the chopping wood part of the story. The sharpening the axe is his good buddy, Larry Mahaney. And they're best friends, by the way, about the same age. So this guy, he is type A personality. He is a coach's coach, old school guy running an oil company. And he comes in my office and he throws his feet up on the desk. And he's like, all right, I'm going to help you be a better coach. And I know baseball, so I'm going to tell you when you're doing it wrong. <laughs> it's the first thing he says to me. So, so. He goes, I'm going to give you an example of what practice, how important it is to both um, Harold and myself. He goes, you're not from Maine, but we have pine up here. And he goes, let's go out to my truck. Guy's still driving a pickup truck. He pulls out this big piece of pine that was just freshly cut. I mean, it's probably, you know, 18 inches in diameter and probably stands two feet tall. And he gives me this old, he goes, you think you can split that? You're 35 years old. And he goes, I bet I can do it before you. I'm like, no way. I mean, the guy's 80 <laughs> years old, and I know how wet it is. I mean, it's sticky with pine tar, uh, sap, I should say. And so uh, he gives me this old, rusty, dull axe that has the handle almost busted. He goes, let's see you do it. So I go ahead, and I freaking whack that thing. Woof! And it sticks it in all the way up to the axe blade. And, you know, it just it's so wet, it just goes in like a sponge. And then I'm trying to beat the axe out of it. I'm slamming the piece of wood in the ground. I'm moving around. I'm wiggling it. I'm sweating. A couple minutes later, I get it out. I turn it sideways. Whack! Do it again. And I can't get it out. And, I, and I'm going back and forth sweating. And he goes, all right, stop. He goes into his truck. He gets a hatchet out of a case. And it is like stainless steel shiny. He goes, I sharpened this for this 
example to you. He goes, I've been doing this for a week with the right stones, the right oil, everything on this blade. He goes, check this out. And he like shaves his, his hair off his arm. <laughs> and he goes, he turns it sideways. He goes, I'm going to not hit your spot. And he turns a piece of wood over where all my big axe marks are in. And he takes one hand and he goes, zip. And he cuts it right in half and it splits. <laughs> and, and he goes, I'm 80 years old and you're 35. And I did that. He goes, let me tell you something, son. He goes, practice. Practice makes perfect. <laughs> he goes, so always keep a sharp axe. Just when you think you've practiced enough, sharpen it again because you'll be able to do a lot more than the people are going to be working with, with just quantity, not quality effort. He goes, everything should be done with quality, not with quantity. And so that, that chapter there, which is chop some wood with a sharp axe, is, is kind of basically the two principles that those guys taught me when I first got that main job about being a true mainer. Yeah, instead of that flatlander that you and I are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, you know, you're a lifelong learner. And even though, you know, you've had great success coaching baseball, every year you still learn. Every game, maybe even you learn and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. What did Absolutely. you what did you learn writing this book about yourself, about the way you coach? You know, what what's some of the thoughts yeah. as before this book actually comes on the market? What what did yeah. you experience? Uh, you know, this is totally by accident, by the way. I mean, I wrote this as therapy. <laughs> you know, I, I was doing leadership speeches. Uh, it's, it's a crazy story is, is I was at University of Maine and we ended up getting so many budget cuts that instead of doing fundraisers like golf outings and bag sales, or whatever you want to call them, we had to go from raising like 30000 to like hundreds of thousands. So the only way to do that is get around your donors and become a good development guy as a head coach. And so I went into this meeting with our successful business people thinking, all right, one or two meetings and I can tell them my problems and they're going to help me with a ten dollars or $20,000 or $50,000 donation to get us out of the hole. What ended up happening is I was like, wait a minute, I'm learning so much about these people and how they built their organizations, how they failed, how they went bankrupt and came out of it, how they dealt with all these issues, how they were so good at crisis management. I started jotting down these notes. And at the same time, this is about 2010, I'm doing a speech for baseball at these conventions in the wintertime, and I'm doing one on base running. And at the end of that 45-minute speech, in a crowd of about 500, I throw in there a little bit about leadership and how I'm going to be investing in this. This is, I think, is an important tool. And this is about when leadership started to get hot. You know, you got all these books coming out. John just wrote the energy bus at this point. So um, I get off the stage talking to these high school and youth coaches, and a guy comes up to me. He's like, hey, I'm, not, I'm actually would love to have you come in and speak to my organization on leadership. Uh, actually, he goes first he goes, I'd like you to come in and speak to my organization. And, and I'm, a, I'm a president and CEO of a bank. And I'm like, wait a minute. You want me to talk to him on base running? Like I, I, couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't get it. And he's like, no, no, no. That last five minutes on leadership. We bring in keynote speakers all the time. So I was a little reluctant, but I was excited. So I studied and I put a PowerPoint together and, I, and it went off like a hit. And I kept on, you know, by word of mouth and, and, and I was doing more and more and more of these things and changing my, you know, what I've learned and putting them into them. And every time I'd come off a stage or a company, everybody would be like, hey, where's your book? And I'm like, I'm a baseball coach. I can't write. Like, like I said before, I'm not even good at writing a good quality email, let alone <laughs> writing a book. And it was about the time I reached out to John Gordon and never thinking this guy would email me back or call me. And he, and 30 seconds after I emailed the guy, he's like, hey, man, you know, keep on doing that. Just keep writing. Just don't worry about it. Just write down your thoughts. 
so I started writing these these chapters down, ideas, and then kind of doing this therapy. Like when we came home from a long bus trip in Maine and we got, you know, our bus kicked by Stony Brook and we lost two out of three. I got 10 hours on a bus. I'd sit there and just kind of get my thoughts out of it and just kind of decompress and write down some thoughts. And it kind of took off to where, um, you know, it, it came out to be this, this, this chapters of books, but on, on business leadership. But really, to answer your question, what I was getting at is, you know, I learned so much that you can do anything you put your mind to. Um, you know, there's, if you would have told me four years ago, I'm going to write a 265 page book, I would have laughed at you. And it just basically was, I, I just got determined and, 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 and put it together. But more importantly, like the most important people around me right now, and I'm going to be selfish for a second. It's Allie and Morgan Trimper, my twin daughters that are in college as freshmen. It's my wife, Lisa. And it's the 35 individuals that are in our clubhouse. That, that, that's, that's the most important people to me in my life right now. If I have to extend that a little bit more, then I start getting into my athletic department community. That's my mm -hmm. next little circle as I got there. And everybody talks about these circles you put around yourselves. So my whole thing that I got out of this and what I learned is like I need to share this stuff that I've learned, not invented, stuff I've learned with those circles of people. And so, you know, we're, we're going through a new thing with our own team about how we're choosing our captains and how we're having guest speakers. Brandon, you of which are one of the 10 speakers that I want to have in, and we are scheduled to have you in to speak about leadership. And, and, and I have a, a CEO of a company, and I have the owner of the San Francisco Giants, and I have a Hall of Fame Division One coach from Clemson, Jack Leggett, coming and speaking to our team for 45 minutes. I, I think that the book has given me a newfound um, way of, of getting the message across so I can influence the people around me in hopes that I can build a championship culture for this year and years to come with Stetson Baseball. I'll tell you what, I, I, I've enjoyed, I've enjoyed so much our time at Stetson together. But more importantly, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm excited because I'm all about learning. And you have brought to me some new juice because Donnie Jones and I are that type of guys. And yep. so this is good. I feel like I'm in, I'm in college taking a course now from you. And I'm thrilled to share with your guys and your team. It's going to be so much fun. But I can't wait for this book. Talk to our audience See of people not just all over the country, all over Canada, Australia, and everywhere around the world. How did they get the book? When's it going to be published, and all that? Yeah, well, you're, you're talking to a guy who, who I, I didn't can't believe I'm actually calling myself an author, but they keep calling me that. But I learned so much <laughs> about it. So we, we, um, you know, at where we are today is is, is almost finished, and, and and I I have never known this, but book companies when they have a book that they our publishing, they, they release it for pre-order sales about four or five months in advance. And and so last week, it, it was actually released uh, on all your book sites. So you can go to Amazon.com or Barnes & Noble or Wiley.com, and you could just search it. You know, the name of the book is Walk Off Winning, uh, A Guide to Leadership to Build Your Organization and Team. So you can just put Walk Off Winning, or you can put my name in there, Steve Trimper, and, and it'll come up. And it's on sale now. Now, it doesn't ship until January 5th. Um, so, you know, you can get the pre-order in and, and I know they do, if you get bulk sales, the price goes down on Amazon and free shipping and all the things that Wiley does as promotions, but it's, so it will be available to get mailed to you, uh, in the first week of January. And at that point too, we're going to be doing the, 
the uh, the Kindle version, I guess you call it, the uh, the ebook and the audio book will be coming out probably towards the end of January. They, I think they let it soak for a little bit with the hard copy, and then they put the other si- stuff out there. But yeah, so um, you know, and I got a couple of p- companies that have already reached out. I'm going to kind of kick up the speaking tour a little bit again, and and go in and speak to a couple of different places. So I'm always available to do that. But I, I made the I made the deal with Wiley. I said. I can't do anything from basically uh, February to hopefully the end of June when we're in the College World Series. So that's that's my go time with my players and my team. Well, if you if you have a game, or let me, I can manage your team though. If you have to do a speech <laughs> or if you have to do a book tour, I'll step in. I can do baseball too, no problem. You can coach yeah. third base. Just put those signs together, you know. And just, <laughs> the, the thing is, Brandon, just keep wheeling them. That's what I keep saying. Just, just don't stop. No stop signs. Just wheel them around set, around oh. third and score them. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Right. Steve Tremper, head baseball coach, Stetson University, author, incredible speaker, learner, walk off winning January fifth. Make sure you order. Steve, thanks so much for sharing. I really appreciate it. This is fabulous. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Brendan. And congratulations on everything you've done with coaching you and just how many people you reach out to. That's a, a remarkable feat and great messages, and it shows that what kind of leader you are. And I am just so amped up to watch Stetson basketball this year because I know when I see a good thing coming, and I know this team with you and Donnie is going to absolutely crank. So make sure – all of our listeners out there, get online and start watching us and watch us on ESPN3 and, and support the Hatter, Hatter uh, basketball program. Thank you, my brother. This is a coach's coach. Uh, I have just gravitated to him at Stetson because of the way he talks about leadership with incredible passion. One of the most dynamic leaders I've come in contact with in any sport. Uh, make sure that you go online. Uh, you know, to Amazon, to Barnes and Noble, or to Wiley.com and order your copy for you and your team. Uh, listen, for all of us in Coaching You, remember now, coachingyou.tv, you can get in your, with the start of practice coming up, you know, with your high school, college team, you want to make sure that you have the latest in teaching techniques. So from our July event in Las Vegas, we have individual sales right now, some of the best coaches in the world. Make sure you go online, see what you like, order what you need, and I think you'll really enjoy it. So you have coachingyou.tv for individual sales, and of course, you can buy all 14 videos if you prefer. Uh, but th- this is one of the things that we really enjoy, and get ready for the season because it's your way to prepare to have a great one. Till next week, this is the coach, Brendan Sir. 